Greetings and salutations, beautiful freaks. I'm Stacy. I'm Coulter. And this is, of course, Any Crime at All. Um, so, like I said, we're doing domestic violence all month long. And today, this is about intimate partner violence. But first and foremost, I would like to mention hockey player Ian Cole. Go ahead. Coulter found... Um, a statement on Twitter yesterday uh, put up by an anonymous. Well, she goes by Emily Smith on Twitter. And a lot of people are saying that it's probably bullshit because it's um, like a fake profile. I, however, think that she made a different profile so she could stay anonymous. Because with things like this, a lot of the times the victims get more backlash than the perpetrators, especially if the perpetrator is a celebrity. Now, some of the things, you can find her um, statement on Twitter under Emily Smith. Um, fair warning, there's some pretty disgusting things in there, so take heed before you read it. Um, if this turns out to be true, I hope he gets strung up by his balls. And I would like Zidane Ochera, a uh, ex-defenseman in the NHL with the hardest shot in the NHL, to take slap shots at him oh. from very close range. I, I, I was about to think Zidane Ochera was somehow involved. No, no. I just want, because he has the hardest shot, I want him to take slap shots at him. Yeah. Aiming directly for the tied-up balls. That would be wonderful. Um, and apparently... Apparently, as I was saying, um, some of his ex-teammates or uh, teammates now, I don't know, could be complicit as he apparently told them what was going on and a couple of teammates went to her and told her that they knew. And she was a minor, a minor in high school when he began grooming her. This is disgusting. This has to stop. Um, sports entities, NHL, NBA, MLB, everything, they got to stop protecting their players from doing this shit. It's not right. And just to say, I don't believe it was his teammates now because he just signed with Tampa in July. Right, okay, so ex-teammates, I guess. Yeah. Um, and if you're one of those teammates that was complicit to it, you might as well have been doing it too. Because you didn't fucking tell anyone. And that's disgusting. And you deserve to be strung up by your nuts as well. And I would love to be the one to fucking do it to all of you. And as a Leaf fan, I can't believe I'm saying this, but shout out to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Mm -hmm. Because they didn't sugarcoat it. They're just like, we're suspending him and we're investigating this. Good because for them. You know, they didn't sugarcoat anything. They didn't defend him in any way like no. what you've seen in the past. Yeah. They're just like, he's out until we figure out... What the fuck's going everything on. Everything going on, yeah. Because yeah. apparently there was another girl from her high school that sh that he was grooming. Yeah. It turns true. out. Yeah. After, after he had already been grooming her, yes? Yeah. Assuming all this is true, yes. Yeah. We have to say allegedly. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so that's my take on all that bullshit going on right now. Um, crimes against women have to fucking stop. 
They have to stop. We have to have better laws for this shit. We really do. Like women right now, especially in parts of the United States, are treated like fucking second-class citizens, and we're not. We are every bit as good as men in any fucking way. And, by the way, we give birth to these fucking pissant men who are making these fucking laws. So, fuck y'all. Okay. And this, this, is, this is just my opinion. Women are so much hotter. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so as I said, we're doing domestic violence all month long because it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So we are going to tackle intimate partner violence today. I'm going to have some statistics for you, and we're going to end with a true story that I found. All right. All right? All right, all right. Okay. So, today we're going to discuss intimate partner violence. This includes physical, sexual, psychological, emotional, and financial abuse. I have some Canadian statistics regarding this epidemic. I'm only doing Canadian statistics, not because I don't love anyone else in the world, but I live in Canada, and most of our listeners are Canadian, so I'm going to do Canada. Um, Feel free, whatever other country you you live in. Look up these statistics. Please look up these statistics. Hey, uh, just before you get started there. Sure. It's Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. Are you going to do one on women abusing men? Yes, I will. Because men men get abused too, yeah. Because that isn't brought up as much at all. No, because there's... I mean, there's a stigma with women being abused. Women are shameful of it and everything. There's an even bigger stigma... For men being abused. Because men don't want to admit it. Because they're supposed to be the, the stronger sex, right? So, But yeah. mo- most of the time, if it's a good man being abused... Which someone very close to us was yeah. physically abused. Uh, they, uh, the reason they're being abused is because they obviously don't believe in hitting women. Yeah. They don't believe in retaliating, so they just take it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I was just wondering if we were going to do one of those. Yeah, if I, whatever I can find on it, we'll do it. Cool. Um, I do have a lot of statistics regarding the percentage of men as well in this one. Oh, you do? Yes. Okay, Because cool. I did women versus men, the percentages. Okay, um, maybe we should uh, just find a true story or something. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll try to find something. So, I beg of you, anyone listening to this, please listen to and share this podcast you may help save a life. And I'm dead serious about this. Also, trigger warnings for anyone this may affect in any way. And stay safe, you gorgeous freaks, because we fucking love you. Okay, this is as per the Government of Canada. Intimate Partner Violence, or IPV, which I probably will be saying IPV a lot, so that's what it means, Intimate Partner Violence, a.k.a. spousal or domestic violence, is a common form of gender-based violence, GBV for short. This refers to many forms of harm caused by a former or current partner or spouse. Marriage, common law, or dating. Gender or sexual orientation does not matter. Anytime during or after 
a relationship has ended. And it doesn't matter if partners are sexually intimate with each other or if they are living together. So, the World Health Organization, or WHO, sees IPV as a major global health concern because it affects millions of people of all races, genders, and walks of life and affects immediate and long-lasting social and economic consequences. Women account for the vast majority of people who experience IPV and the perpetrators are most often men. Children that are exposed to IPV face considerable challenges and trauma. And by the way, intimate partner violence is a form of child abuse. Which I did not know that. I mean, it stands to reason, but I did not know that it was actually considered a form of child abuse. Just a famous uh, example of that to bring up. Mm-hmm is uh, a celebrity who watched his mom get beat up all growing up and everything. Who that? And you see the effect it had on him, Chris Brown. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then he ended up doing it yeah. himself, so. Yeah, it is, uh, it, yeah, that's terrible. Okay, so. Oof. IPV can occur in private, public, and online, and can include physical abuse, which means intentional or threatened violence like pushing, shoving, slapping, hitting, punching, cutting, and strangulation, criminal harassment or stalking, which we talked about last week, which is repeated tactics that make one fear for their safety or the safety of a loved one or pet. This includes making threats, obscene phone calls, following, watching, tracking, and contact via phone, emails, texts, or online. Sexual violence, non-consenting sexual acts, repercussions for refusing to engage in sexual acts, forcing someone to watch or engage in pornography, sexually degrading language and belittling comments, emotional and psychological abuse, this involves constant humiliation, insults, threats of harm to children and or pets, threats of harm to the victim and intimidation, and threats of harm to loved ones as well. Um, financial abuse, control of money, property or assets, control of one's ability to get a job or go to school. Spiritual abuse, using one's spirituality to abuse, dominate, manipulate or control them. Reproductive coercion, controlling reproductive choices, pregnancy outcomes, or access to health care. And then we have coercive control, which is one of the worst ones in my opinion. Coercive control is awful. This is patterns of control and abuse that cause fear or terror, including coercion, using force and or threats to alter behavior, and control, regulating or domi dominating a partner's behavior and choices, isolating a person from family and friends, and restricting access to employment, education, or medical care. Coercive control is also, oh, boy, I really don't want you going there. Like, I, I, I don't feel like that's a safe place. You probably shouldn't go there anymore. Or, oh, you're going to be... Uh, 
uh, you have that appointment that day? Oh man, I really, really wanted to spend that day with you. I mean, I made plans for us to do this and that. So like subtle manu- manipulation? Yeah. Okay. Coercion. Yeah. And then there's cyber violence. Using technologies to cause in-person or virtual harm. This includes tracking one's location, observing or listening to a partner in order to frighten, humiliate, or intimidate the partner. It was only in 1983 that the Criminal Code of Canada was amended to include a person being charged with sexual assault against a spouse. That's 1983 that that was included. 39 years ago. As we discussed last week... Uh, No, sorry, criminal harassment or stalking was added in 1993, as we discussed last week. In 2019, the criminal justice system's response to IPV was strengthened. This was done by defining, quote-unquote, intimate partner to include current and former spouse, common-law partner, and dating partner. Another charge to the criminal code was that if the accused has a prior charge or charges of IPV, the accused has to prove to the court why they should be released on bail. It used to be that the Crown had to prove why the accused should be held in custody. I well, like that way better. Yeah. Alberta, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Newfoundland and Labrador, Nova Scotia, PEI, Northwest Territories, Yukon Territory, and Nunavut all have specific leg- legislation for family violence. British Columbia, Ontario, and Quebec do not. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's surprising, actually. Mm-hmm. Surprises me. Services available for victims slash survivors of IPV include women's shelters, transition houses, victims' services, counseling, and sexual assault centers. The Canadian government says it is working to gain knowledge about IPV. And I, for one, sincerely hope that this is correct, as this is a true epidemic. Police reported data shows that women and girls are, predominantly, the victims of IPV and intimate partner homicides. Many people don't report this violence, some reasons being fear of the stigma and shame that comes with it. And I added this is even more evident for male victims of IPV. As we were just talking about. Yeah. Uh, some people believe it's a private matter or they have no trust in the justice system to help them, which has been a big problem. Uh, because cops and courts really don't take it seriously enough. They really don't. Um, this is not just a Canadian epidemic. In- intimate partner violence and intimate partner homicide is a fucking global epidemic. It really is. The Criminal Code of Canada prohibits some forms of IPV, such as physical and sexual assault, financial abuse, some forms of emotional and psychological abuse. This is not enough. Obviously. So police reported statistics as of 2019 in Canada... Of the 107,810 people aged 15 and over who experienced IPV, 79% were women. 
slash girls. 79%. Okay, okay, but how can you... How, I don't believe in that statistic. Why? I believe it's way higher, but I, I like we were saying, they're not going to admit it. Well, some men do. This is just what the police have found. Okay. Cause... So... Because, I mean, if they go to a domestic call and the, and the girl is like, well, you know, I hit him, then. Like, I, th- I still think know, it's I way mean, higher. I would say more probably 65, 35, mm-hmm. just as a guess. Yeah. Women are three and a half times more likely to experience IPV than men. That's 536 women versus 149 men per a population of 100,000. Now, self-reported data. This is um, as per a survey done. Okay? 44% or approximately 6.2 million women age 15 plus said they've experienced some form of IPV in their lifetime. Psychological abuse, women 43% versus men 35%. Physical abuse, women 23% versus men, 17%. Okay, that's interesting. Sexual abuse, women, 12% versus men, 2%. Yeah, see, I I would think the women would be even way higher than that. For the sexual abuse? I think the ratio would be Mm. much higher. Uh, The mental abuse, I, I, I expect men to be a little bit higher on that. Could be. Women have a way. <laughs> they yeah. do. Because men men are too stupid to realize they're being mentally <laughs> abused. <laughs> Women aged 15 plus were markedly more likely to have gone through the most severe IPV over men. Made to engage in sex acts that they didn't want to. Women, 8% versus men, 1%. Being confined or locked in a room or other space. Women, 3% versus men, 0.5%. Yeah. Being forced to have sex, women, 10% versus men, 2%. Being choked, women, 7% versus men, 1%. Having harm done to or threats of harm to pets, women, 4% versus men, 0.8%. Yeah, that all sounds accurate Mm -hmm. to me. Women age 15 plus are four times more likely to experience IPV. Women 37% versus men 9%. 55% of women who experienced IPV feared their partner at some point. Being scared of an intimate partner can mean that IPV is more coercive, more severe, and more likely to reflect a pattern, a pattern of abuse. I will say it seems like every woman I meet has gone through this shit. Mm-hmm. Like it, it just seems like that more and more. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Women who went through physical or sexual abuse before age fifteen were almost twice as likely as women with no such history to have experienced IPV since the age of fifteen. Sixty-seven percent yeah. versus thirty-five percent. Yeah, that's not surprising no, at all. No, it's not. And that's unfortunate. In the last year before the survey, this same ratio, 18% versus 10%. Okay. 
Among people that experienced IPV in the past year before the survey, women were twice as likely as men to experience it on a daily or almost daily basis. Women, 12% versus men, 6%. 3 in 10, or 29% of women aged 15 to 24, have experienced at least one incident of IPV in the last year before the survey. That doubles the experiences in women aged 25 to 34 and women aged 35 to 44, and is six times higher than women aged 65 plus. But women aged 65 plus, or men, still do get abused. Yes, very much so, yeah. Um, okay, so women aged 15 to 24, they are five times more likely to be sexually assaulted. 5% versus 1%, per, uh, 5 per, oh, wow. What five, happened there? 5% women versus 1% men. Thank you very much. They are three times more likely for physical assault. Women, 6% versus men, 2%. They are three times more likely for emotional, psychological, and financial abuse by an intimate partner. Women, 28% versus men, 10%. Now, this next one is, they're staggering statistics, and I hate them. Indigenous women. Oh, God. 61% experienced IPV since age 15 versus non-Indigenous women at 44%. In the last year before the survey, one in seven... Or 17% of indigenous women went through some form of IPV versus 12% of non-indigenous women. Now, it doesn't seem like they're much higher statistics, but it really is. Yeah, it really is. And I'll explain that to you in a little bit. LGB plus women. 67% of LGB plus women experienced some form of IPV since age 15 versus 44% of hetero women. Uh, 49% of LGB plus women physically sexually assaulted by an intimate partner since age 15 versus 25% of hetero women. So almost double. Mm Mm-hmm. One in five, or 20% of LGB plus women went through some form of IPV in the past year before the survey versus 12% of hetero women. Now, I just want to say that a lot of people joke around and say, oh, I should become a lesbian because it would be a much more peaceful relationship. Apparently not. I mean, a relationship is a relationship is a relationship, right? So... Ugh. Wait, it's wait, 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 wait. But that doesn't necessarily mean they were abused by the same sex, right? That doesn't mean that. That no. that, that means they were they yeah, a, a man it, took advantage of them. Yeah, it doesn't well no, this because this is intimate partner violence, so yeah. Oh, but maybe yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's fucking crazy and surprising. Mm-hmm. I know. But like I said, a relationship is a relationship. It doesn't matter what sex you are. It doesn't matter if you're gay or lesbian or what have you. 
So women with disabilities, 55% of these women experienced IPV versus 37% of women without disabilities. It's easier to take advantage of them. Mm. One year before the survey, 16% of women with disabilities experienced IPV versus 10% of women without. Among LGB plus women with disabilities, 71% experienced IPV. That's Holy. 7 in 10 women. That's insane. 71%. Mm-hmm. That's Visi fucking nuts. Yeah, I know. Isn't it disgusting? Visible minority women. 29% of these women had experienced IPV in some form. In the year before the survey, visible and non-visible minority women experienced physical abuse 2% and sexual abuse 1%. 25% uh, of visible minority women aged 15 to 24 went through IPV in the last year before the survey. Now, intimate partner homicides. In Canada, between 2014 and 2019, there were 497 intimate partner homicides. 80% or 400 of these were women. Do not read ahead. Get away from me. Uh, I'm reading along. Sorry. Indigenous women make up only 5% of the female population in Canada. Only 5%. Okay? Yeah. However, they make up... 21% of all intimate partner homicide victims. That is a nasty statistic. That's 83 women. Now think about what I said about ind indigenous, the percentages I gave you before. Yeah. How much higher they were than uh, non-indigenous women. And they only make up 5%. Of the population. Yeah. So you think about how many indigenous women that is. It's a disgust. Oh. Indigenous women have. I just can't have even. It's so rough. Oh my. I got goosebumps right now. I just, I can't. Oh, just. I'm angry and sad and I just want to. Mm. Okay. In 2020, 53 women were murdered by their intimate partner. 11 of these victims were indigenous women. That is crazy. That's uh, over 20%. Canada's public health agency has a website called Stop Family Violence. This is a great resource for information for anyone experiencing family violence. I mean men, women, children, Anyone can go to this site. This site also has a button called Leave This Site that immediately brings you to the Canada.ca weather site. That's always good. So if your perpetrator walks in, you click that, and all of a sudden you're on the weather site. Didn't we have? Didn't we? Did we mention yes. that last week too? Yep. Yeah, because yep. I remember there was the one we mentioned last week. Most of them will bring you to Google. Yeah, just the Google search engine, but uh, because. Because the site is on a Government of Canada, is on the Government of Canada website, it brings you to another Government of Canada page. Plug the site again. Uh, the site is called Stop Family Violence. 
And you can even just go to Canada.ca and look up like family violence and it'll hook you up with a whole bunch of resources. So, uh, victim services directory, which I did mention in last week's episode as well, is a site through justice Canada victims and service providers, which means doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists, dentists, anyone can locate services for victims of crime all over Canada. You can even do a quick search by just using your postal code and it will give you resources around your area. So the story I'm about to relate to you, I found it on domesticshelters.org. It's a great site. Um, all the names were already changed to protect anonymity. Yeah. Okay. This is Shelly's story. You may hear some noises in the background. It's, uh, the people that live under us, they were fucking disgusting pigs and now the apartment is being cleaned out. So onward and upward, my freaks. So Shelly actually worked for Teresa's fund. This is the domestic violence nonprofit organization that founded the site where I found this story. I've heard of Teresa's Fund. Probably. She toured domestic violence shelters and she helped allocate where the fund grants would go. She said, quote, I thought I knew what domestic violence was, but it turns out I actually knew very little, unquote. You ready for this, Colt? Hit me. All right. When she was 23, Shelley began dating a man named Alex. Just a few months before this, her boyfriend of five years broke up with her. She says she was 40 pounds overweight with very little self-esteem and she was depressed. Despite all this, Alex made her feel special and beautiful and wanted. He worked in IT at the same organization as Shelley. He was thoughtful, smart, and cute. However, there was a catch. He was married. Okay. Alex swore to Shelley that he and his wife were no longer intimate. In fact, they slept in different bedrooms, but he just couldn't divorce her yet because she was not from the U.S. Though he never explained exactly what that meant, and Shelley didn't bother to ask what it meant. Um, how many times have women heard that story, or men? You know, oh no, we're, we're not really together anymore, mm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Their first two years together were idyllic. They watched TV together. They talked for hours. They took day trips on his Harley Davidson and so many other nice things that couples in love do. He spent more time with Shelley than he did at his own home. Then it happened. The thing Shelley wanted most in the world. Alex left his wife. Oh, okay. Now, Shelley did accompany Alex to his divorce proceedings, and Alex's wife asked the court for an order of protection. The ex said Alex had been tracking her whereabouts with her cell phone. Alex told the court he only wanted to track the actual phone because he paid the bill. That doesn't really make sense. No, that's fucking bullshit. Shelley had never heard of an order of protection before, and she just sort of thought it was part of any normal divorce. This, she says, he was, he was a few years older than her, by the way. This, she says, looking back, was the first red flag. 
When the divorce was final, Alex moved into Shelley's place, because that's where they spent the majority of their time anyway, and she explained that she didn't want to live in the same house where he lived with his ex. Yeah. Okay. She loved having someone to come home to and to be with after work, to make and eat dinner together and to fall asleep together. Shelley was happy. Alex was the perfect boyfriend for a few months after his divorce. They went to dinner at Shelley's parents' place every Sunday. He bought her flowers. He genuinely wanted to spend time with her. They even discussed marriage and children in their future. Then, once, Alex and Shelley were having lunch together, and she said she'd be home later than usual as she had an eyebrow appointment. Alex replied, quote, Aw, can't you move it to next week? I really can't wait to see you tonight. I was planning on making us dinner. She acquiesced. And this, says Shelley, was the beginning of the end. This was Alex seeking control and Shelley handing it over. Then Alex called her on her way home from work once. He said she was late and he was worried about her. Shelley thought this was sweet. This is not sweet. This is more control. Eventually, they started to fight about her schedule. So much so that Shelley started to cancel plans just so she wouldn't get any backlash anymore. Alex would make her feel guilty about anything she did that did not include him. Coercive control. But when they spent all their time together, things were awesome. Okay. Of course. Okay. Then, Alex became jealous. Shelley's parents' male neighbor said hi to her one Sunday. Oh, here we go. And Alex got mad about it on the way home. On the way home. Not in front of the parents or anything. On the way home. Yeah, when he has her by herself. Exactly. He claimed the neighbor was clearly into Shelley, and he didn't like it. However, it got worse. Alex wanted to know if Shelley sat next to any men during work meetings. Shelley was part of a group that consisted of two men and two women. So, she explained to him, she always had to sit next to at least one of the men. Arguments like these gradually increased. It got so bad that Shelley would stare at her menu if they happened to have a male server at a restaurant. Oh, God, I've heard this story. Once. Not this particular no. story, but. Yeah. Once, when he was gone across the country to see his parents, he's allowed to go. Oh, of course, week. yeah. Alex asked Shelley to send some nude pictures to him. She wasn't really comfortable with this, but she agreed. Alex asked again, and Shelley said no. Because, as I said, she wasn't comfortable with it the first time, so. His reaction was to accuse her of not loving him anymore. So, to avoid a fight, and to prove her love, she sent the pictures. <clears throat> Pardon me. Anything Alex asked of her, Shelley did. Sending pictures, having sex when she didn't want to, even if she was crying all the way through it. The list goes ever on. So, by this time, Alex no longer worked at Teresa's Fund. But he had to constantly be in touch with Shelley during the day. One day, Shelley was called into an impromptu meeting, and she didn't have the time to tell Alex about it. When she returned to her desk, she was inundated 
with messages from Alex. He was angry and demanded she call him right away. So Shelly went to the parking lot and she called Alex. He accused her of cheating and, you know, bullshit like that. Yeah. Um, and she denied it. They got into a big argument. When Shelly hung up, she was crying. Then she got a notification of an email. She opened the email to find a message from Alex that he'd addressed to her boss. She opened it to find several intimate pictures that she'd sent to Alex. What? Shelly felt humiliated and devastated. She was sure she was going to get fired or something, right? Yeah. She called Alex crying, asking, like, why? How could you do this to me sort of a thing? Alex laughed and told her that he hadn't actually sent it to her boss. But, but he, he would anytime he wanted to. Things rapidly declined after that. They stopped going to Sunday dinners after that because Alex said he didn't want to see the neighbor. Which really is isolation. Yeah, definitely. One time, after they'd had drinks at a bar, they headed home on his Harley Davidson. Alex began speeding up suddenly, and Shelley, with no backrest behind her, had to hold on to him for dear life. She was terrified he was actually trying to make her fall off the bike. Which he probably was. Another time, as Shelley was on her way home from work, they had a terrible fight over the phone. She hung up on him. When he inevitably called back, he said, quote, If you ever hang up on me again, I'll drive directly to Tucson and slit Mia's throat. Mia was Shelley's niece. Mia was in preschool at the time. Oh my fucking God. Oh, I wish I could have this guy in front of me. Mm-hmm. Through all of this horrific bullshit, Shelley did not know she was being abused. Shelley, like so many of us, thought for it to be abuse, it had to be physical. It doesn't. It does not need to be physical. So, after four years, Shelley ended the relationship for good. She had tried to leave before, but Alex would threaten suicide. So she stayed. But finally, she told herself, better him than me. Yeah, definitely. Let him kill himself. Mm-hmm. It's a shit. After she left Alex, he did not commit suicide. Of course not. He sold all of his shit and moved to a different state. However, the night before he left, Alex called Shelley and proposed to her. <laughs> What a fucking moron. Shelly has not heard from Alex since. Thankfully for her, Shelly ends her story with, quote, I was one of the lucky ones, unquote. That, that was just leading to a death or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she really, really is one of the lucky ones because a lot of women don't make it out alive. Yeah. A lot of men don't make it out alive. There's literally TV channels devoted to exploiting it. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. It's horrible. It really is a global epidemic and it has to be taken more seriously by everyone, but especially by cops, by prosecutors, by the courts. 
You can't just say, like, I've heard so many stories about women calling in and saying, my ex is, you know, bombarding me on over my cell phone. Oh, well, change your number. Okay. Why does all of this have to be on me to change the number? Can't you go after him to make him stop doing this shit? Like, it, you know what I mean? If, if you see something wrong with somebody, investigate a little it's bit. Just, yeah, for sure. Like, um, come on. It's ridiculous. But sometimes you don't always see something wrong with someone. They're perfect at the beginning. Absolutely perfect. I'm not talking about the partner. I'm talking about people around them. Oh, I see what uh, you mean. From the outside looking in, sort of. Yeah. And, yeah. And cops. Mm-hmm. Like, if they're called to the house, like, mm-hmm. don't just understand you have to follow the law, but... I understand there is only so much cops can do, but sometimes they can do a lot more than they choose to do. Yeah. So, fucking go at it, man. Go hard. Do what needs to be done. And, I mean, if you if you do know someone who you believe is going through this, take them aside sometime, if you can. Take them aside sometime and ask them if they need help. Something. And, uh, I mean, it was... Domestic abuse got really, really bad during COVID. Really, really bad. Well, obviously. When everybody was stuck inside together. But yeah, so that is our show this week about intimate partner violence. There was This was a rough one. Um, and uh, please listen to it. Share it. Like I said, you could be saving a life. Do you have anything to add, my dear? No, no. You said... You said it all. <laughs> and again, that website, Stop Family Violence. Go to it. Read up on it. Even if you're not the one going through it, you might be able to help someone. Okay. I'm Stacy. I'm Coulter. And keep your heads up, kids. Because people are capable of any crime at all. We love you fucking freaks. Bye. <laughs>